Good morning, everybody. There I am. Can't blame the, the team for what I'm doing, can I? <laughs> All right, I'm going to jump right in. Uh, I've been preaching a series called Leave Your Nets out of Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 12 through 23, and I've kind of bounced around a little bit. Um, <clears throat> we talked about part of this is, you know, Jesus asking his disciples to leave their nets was about something uh, bigger than what they were doing. And I want to kind of talk about that a little bit today and talk about priorities and kind of how that works in our life. Um, I want to read part of Matthew chapter 4. Um, this is uh, uh, 18 through 20. And so Jesus is, he's called two sets of brothers in this, in this whole passage, but this is just one set of brothers. Verse 18 says, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So just take note of that last phrase right there. Um, in case you were ignorant of what happens when people throw nets into the sea, they're fishermen when they do that. <laughs> Verse 19, he says, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. So that phrase in, uh, in verse 18 is interesting. It says, for they were fishermen, in case you were curious. But there's a reason why Jesus, Jesus doesn't do anything arbitrarily in Scripture. So if you ever read something and go, I wonder what that's there for. There's probably a therefore that it's there for, right? So just kind of keep reading, maybe look at the context. Talk to the Lord and say, God, would you reveal, kind of show me what's going on here. So in this passage, he says, for they were fishermen. And part of the reason he was doing that was that was the identity they, that they had wrapped themselves around. They were fishermen. So um, if you've watched any of, any of the movies um, about Peter, um, James and John, all these guys, the sons of uh, Zebedee, sons of Thunder, <clears throat> these guys were fishermen, and they were a little bit rough, a little bit rowdy. They were not your you know, typical fishermen who wear the really nice you know, $80 shirts like we do nowadays when we go fishing, right? <laughs> they probably smelled pretty bad. It was, it was a stinky thing. The whole family was involved in this. Um, they, and economically, they were probably upper, lower class so in that arena, that's actually a pretty good thing. So they were doing well. Um, the other two brothers, when he, when he calls them, the Bible says they're with their father. And in another passage, it said they had a hired servant, uh, had a hired man. So in other words, they, the, the company, the business was big enough that they actually hired somebody to work with the family. So it was, they were doing actually pretty well. And in, in many ways, we do the same thing. We wrap our, ourselves around often our career. You know, when we're younger, we often wrap ourselves around our family um, I run into this on a regular basis when I'm talking to people and helping them come through into really understanding who a father is. Often they've had a father who's identified them as something, and a lot of times it's negative. So they'll say things like, you know, you're never going to amount to anything because you were a knothead. Who wasn't a knothead? Anybody not a knothead when they were a teenager? You're a liar and a knothead. That's what you are. So... <laughs> That's kind of harsh. Wasn't it? So, so here's the thing. All of us have been in places where our behavior is trying to get us to be identified, right? It's trying to identify us. Is this, this is what you did, and so this is, because of that, this is who you are. And so, and again, that can look sometimes like a sinful, broken thing. You know, addiction can, we can come out of that. Um, you know, if you're growing up, if you have a really strong personality and strong outward personality and you're, maybe your dad doesn't, or your mom doesn't, a lot of times they'll say this, because this is what was said to me. It's like, don't encourage him, <laughs> right? So I, I would try to be funny to people, and it was, you know, it was uh, preteen humor, which is not humor at all. It is to preteens, but that's the only one who laughs at those kind of jokes. And so I'd say something, and it wasn't funny, and then someone would go, hey, that's not bad, actually. You know, you're going to try a little harder. I might laugh next time. And then they would say, don't encourage him. 
And one time I was, I've shared this many times, one time I was going on a trip with my mom and my Aunt Barbara, and my Aunt Barbara, after a, a little while, looked at my mom and says, does he ever shut up? And my mom says, no, he does not. <laughs> Which is another way of saying, don't encourage him. What would have been better, maybe, <laughs> and maybe they tried this and I just missed it a bunch, but what would have been better is, hey, listen, I love that you have something to say, but maybe have something to say. Right? I mean, that's encouraging. That, that would be encouraging. That was like, hey, I love that God made you and you like to talk, and that's a good thing. You want to be a communicator. That's good. And so that took me a long time to get out of that identity into the one that God has called me into. And still people will say things to me today about, you know, about my personality, and I'll go, man, you think I'm bad now. <laughs> you should have known me when I was 20. So this is their identity. It says, for they were fishermen. So Jesus is pointing that out because he's about to make a, um, a contradiction in this whole passage. And again, we, we receive um, our identity, or we get an identity all the, all the time, and we even try to live up to it. So even the negative, or the negative side of it I already talked about, but the positive side is, you know, you should become a doctor, or you should be this, or you should, you know, you're doing so much better than your brother. Or, I mean, there's a lot of ways that this can come out of it. But here's the thing about Christianity, about what, it, what happens when you meet Jesus. When you meet Jesus, your identity is received. It's not earned. Right, so Jesus comes, and later on you see this with Peter, the very guy that we're talking about right now. Um, Peter says, um, you're the son of God. Jesus is asking the question about who he is. You know, who do people say I am? And then he gets serious and personal and says, who do you say that I am? And they had it wrong, but, but Peter got it right. And when he did, he said, Peter, you are this. And he went from, this is really interesting, he went from Peter having been a fisherman to Peter was now had something to do with a rock. Right? So what's really interesting is that's kind of Jesus' thing, right? We always call Jesus a carpenter, and he was. But carpenters back in that day didn't work a lot with wood. They worked a lot with wood and stone. They were, you know, they built, and they built with mostly big stones, right? And so when he was calling Peter out, he was really calling him into his own family, which was really, really interesting. And he was identifying him as something, not just the rock, not just a rock, but also being a part of his guild, his family, his extended family. So it's really interesting because that's something that he, he had to make a decision. Will I receive something different? Will I become something different? And this is what Jesus is doing in this passage. When you receive the identity of love in Jesus, it literally reorders all of your other loves, right? It reorders all of your other identity. You find, when you begin to find your identity in Jesus, you find your identity in something that is given, it's not earned. And it's important, it's just an important side note. There's, a, um, there's a, a sermon I read sometimes from time to time. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. It's written by a Scottish theologian um, back in the 1700s named Thomas Chalmers. And so what he, what he was saying in this, he says, when you get, an, you know, when you get um, uh, something in your heart, you know, the heart is an idol uh, machine. It, it, it's an idol factory. It makes idols. It wants to, it wants to worship something, right? So you, everybody is worshiping something, regardless of whether you say you are or not, you are, I promise, because it's what we're designed for. And what Thomas Chalmers was saying about that was, when you come to someone and offer them Jesus, if you don't let them know who Jesus really is, you, all you're trying to do is say, hey, I, you've got an affection that you already have wrapped your life around and really your identity. So for a young man, maybe it's pleasure Maybe he's like, I'm just going to party like it's 1999. I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to live for, you know, for today. And so he's got, he's got um, an affection in his heart that his, his identity is wrapped around. 
And what's interesting is, even without Jesus, if a greater affection comes to his heart, he'll often let go of the lesser one and grab hold of the greater one. So as a young man, maybe he pursues pleasure, and then, you know, pleasure is awesome, but then it's, you know, it doesn't create as nice of a car as he would like to drive or, you know, as nice of a career as he'd like to be in or, or what have you. And so he says, you know what, I think money is the new affection. And so he lets go of pleasure and he begins to chase after money, which means to some degree he's going to have to be more disciplined than he was. But listen, he, wasn't, he didn't become disciplined for the sake of discipline, did he? <laughs> he just traded another, a new affection for, a, for an older affection. And so when Jesus comes, what he does is Jesus offers a new affection. So when Jesus comes on the scene with these, these two guys, the four of them actually in this passage, he says to them, you guys are fishermen. This is who you've been. This is what you've done. This is what you've known. But I have something new. I want to offer you something. And so most people believe that this was maybe not the first time that these guys had seen Jesus. John uh, chapter 1 talks a little bit about it. And so they had seen Jesus. They knew who he was. His fame had kind of gone abroad. And so when he comes and, and starts offering them something, something, what he's doing, he's saying, hey, I have a new affection for you. So this is what he says. He says, follow me. So now this is really interesting because the custom in the day was that disciples chose the rabbi that they would follow. They didn't, uh, you didn't see often the rabbi come and choose his disciples, which is really interesting. Like most of us don't know that. But the disciples would find a rabbi because what they would do is they would give themselves to him, follow him around. So they wanted him to be the guy, right? Jesus comes and does actually what's more like a prophet from the Old Testament. So he comes and basically says, hey, I have a mantle I want to put on you. Are you willing to take it? And so this interesting passage in 1 Kings 19.19 that kind of portrays a little bit of what was happening with Peter and these guys and why, you know, we talk about why did they, why did they drop everything and follow Jesus. And so 1 Kings 19 says this, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th, the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. So what he was saying was, I'm putting my mantle on you. And, he's, and in that prophetic action, he's asking a question. Will you follow me and become like me? Will you become my disciple? So this is what the Bible says. It says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. So it's a good first start, but listen to what happened. This is what he says. He says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye first, he said, and then... I'll come with you. So what was happening was, he says, I have a greater affection. And it sounds a little challenging, right? And it was because, you know, family back in that time was the main thing. And so Elijah's coming and saying, I have an office for you that is above everything else. It's not from me. It's not a a natural thing. This is above everything else. And it's so important, and you go back and you read who Elisha was as a prophet to Israel, and you understand the magnitude of what he was offering Elisha. And Elisha said to him, I have some things I want to do first. I need to keep working my nets. I've got money to make. I've got a house payment. I've got some stuff to do. I've got some dreams. I want to travel. I've got all this stuff, right? And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, any more than when Jesus when Jesus asked these disciples to come and follow me, they had to make a decision about what that actually meant. Was this thing that Jesus offering them, what he was offering them, was it greater than anything else up until that moment that they have experienced? Now, we know the end of the story, and we know that it was. Those 12 men, of these, these two were 
part of the 12, turned the entire world upside down. They left from Galilee after the cross. Jesus is walking with them on the beaches of Galilee, right? And from there, they go to the nations. And in 300 and something years, over 56% of the Roman Empire had become Christians while they were being persecuted and having never had a church building. So they turned the whole world upside down, these, these guys. So they didn't know the extent, really, of what Jesus was asking, right? Because they hadn't seen it yet. But something inside of them wanted to answer the question, wanted to say yes to will you follow me? Because this is what he says. Because in, in some of this, it's like, okay, what do I have to do if I follow you? And this is what Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. It's an interesting phrase. You don't have to do this. You can't do this. Actually, as a matter of fact, part of leaving your nets is an exercise you're never going to stop. You're going to have to lay down your strength. You're going to have to lay down your own um, desires. You're going to have to lay it all down. And you're going to have to trust that what I'm going to do, what I'm going to make you, what I'm going to do in this new nature, this change inside of you, is worth it all, and it's nothing that you can produce on your own. One of the sad things about modern-day Christianity is we, can, we think we can become Christians because we attend a service or part of a denomination or we're members of a church. And uh, Keith Green used to talk about this, if some of you guys know him, and he was a, a, a prophet and a a song uh, worship leader in the 70s um, and 80s. And uh, he said, you're going to serve somebody, right? Dil- uh, was it Dylan even said it? Bob Dylan even said it. But he, he amplified. He said, you're going to have to serve somebody. And so Keith Green said, there's something that, that we're becoming. And he said, there's, there's something in this world, right, that's amazing. And I love it. He had kids. He had a wife. He had a career. He had all kinds of things. And when he took that step of faith and he started down that road, what the Lord offered him was so much bigger. And he died very young with one of his children. It was a tragic accident. But his legacy lives to this day. He was the first guy I listened to when I became a Christian. His music transformed me because it was prophetic. He was challenging me saying, you were made for a different world, right? And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make you. You can't do this yourself. Whatever you think you're going to do, you have to lay all that down and let me do it. There's an interesting scripture. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, as all of us reflect the Lord's glory. This is God's word translation, so just a more modern translation. As all of us reflect the Lord's glory with faces that are not covered with veils, we are being changed into his image with ever-increasing glory. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so what this passage is saying is you Allow yourself to be changed. One way someone said it before is we become what we behold. Whatever you set your heart's affections on, that's what you become. It doesn't matter whether you mean to or not. Like if you just say, you know what, I'm not going to set my heart's affections on anything. Yes, you are. As a matter of fact, you already have. I promise you, you have. And one way you can find out is let me look at your calendar, right, and let me look at your checkbook, and I can tell you what you set your heart's affections on. And I don't like that because I don't want you looking at my checkbook and my calendar because <laughs> it's not always in line with what God's calling us to be. But that's the, that's the challenge that God says. If you come and follow me, if you behold me, if you follow me, get into my life, um, learn of me, do what I'm doing, you know, grow and become like me. This is what he's saying. If you will gaze into my face, 
then the transformation will begin to happen. And he says, it's the Spirit of God who does it. It's, it's the inside, Jesus said, that if the inside is changed, then the outside becomes clean. But so often we try to do it on the, from the outside in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better. I'm going to sleep more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to come to church. We start putting all these things on what I must do to make me. And the whole idea is Jesus saying, if you will just lay it all down, if you will lay it all down, what you will pick up will be far greater than anything you laid down. And we're going to get to that in just a second. So the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and this is an example. It says the spiritual nature, again, this is God's Word translation, the spiritual nature produces love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, self-control, we think self-control is an act of my will. How's that working out for you? Because I know how it works for me. It doesn't. It doesn't ever work for me. The harder I try not to do something, the more I think about doing it, I end up doing it. That's what you behold is what you become. What if you just beheld, somebody asked me this, they said, how is it that if I become a believer, I, how come I don't have to follow the law anymore? And, and I tell them because the law is in you now. Jesus is the epitome. He's the fulfillment of the law. That's what the Bible says. And when, you, when he is inside of you, living from the inside out, you become all these things. You become like him because you're beholding him. You're worshiping him. You're giving him first priority. You're making him first in your life. So we begin to see what is valuable in God's eyes. And here's the truth. People are the only things that are eternal. And so this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you know, you're going to have an amazing career if you stay on the, on, on the Sea of Galilee. You're going to transfer this to your kids. It's going to be amazing. But I want to make you something different. I want to change your identity for something you do for the world's sake that's limited in this fear. And I want to make you, this is what he said, I want to make you fishers of men. Because what you've been doing is limited. You're gifted for it and you're made for it. It's why you're doing it. One reason why you're doing it. I wanted to study, um, you know, uh, uh, I started to say archaeology, but that's not right, architecture. (laughs) Because I like to build. But it turns out that I don't build in the natural. I build in the spirit. That's the way I like to do those things. So Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to do it. You don't have to do it. I will do it. But you have to behold me. You make us fishers of men. Here's what's interesting about this passage. Um, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Habakkuk, all these different places. Every time previously fishing was talked about, it was always in the context of judgment. You're going to be hooked. You're going to be pulled in. You're going to be killed. That's the passages. Go back and look at some of these passages. That's what, it's, that's what it's talking about. Judgment is going to come. But this is different. Now they're going to be caught. They're going to be cleaned. They're going to be set free. And they're going to be saved from judgment and released into the purpose and destiny that God had always meant for them to have. They were going to really see fulfillment. So here's the thing. You never leave your nets without a compelling reason to do so. Remember Chalmers said, unless there's a new affection... The old affections will stay there. They will not leave. You can't decide, I just don't want an affection because a heart is like a vacuum, right? And nature abhors a vacuum. Somebody asked one time, what's the, what's the quick, this was in science class one time, what's the quickest way to, to, to get uh, air out of a tube, right? If you're in a lab, what's the quickest way? And so people are like, well, I'll hook something up to it and I'll vacuum the air out, you know? But it never gets 100% of it out of there, right, in a typical lab. You know the easiest thing to do? Pour water in it. Because when you pour water in it, no air can stay. Right? 
the water is heavier, and so it displaces, it pushes out the air. And see, this is the picture of what God's calling you to. Jesus is saying, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And if you hear this, if you hear what I'm calling you into, and you recognize the magnitude of what I'm asking of you, what I'm drawing you into, what I'm going to do in you, how I'm going to bless you, right? All these different things. Too often we think, Lord, if I come to you, you're going to make me poor and miserable and sad and all these things, right? No, he's not. Like, if you have tremendous capacity, what do you think God's going to do with your tremendous capacity? Just let you sit on the, on, the, on the sidewalk and twiddle your thumbs? Of course not. He's going to use your natural capacity, and then he's going to put inside of you a spiritual capacity that far outweighs that natural capacity. Whatever you could do in the natural, when God begins to get a hold of you, it's going to do something so much powerful, more powerful. Let me read this last passage I'll read. Psalm um, 103. It says, let all that I am praise the Lord. It says, may I never forget your benefits or the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. Remember, we talked about that last week, about the kingdom of God coming in power. There's so much more to who God says we are as a church than just a philosophy and just a religion. It's come, it, he wants to come with his kingdom in power. He forgives my sins. He heals my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things, and my youth is renewed like the eagles. Let me just go through some of the benefits I've seen. The new birth. I remember they said, you must be born again. I said, I don't know what that means. I do now. I I know what it meant to be what I was, and when I was born again, I became something different. I can't explain it, but I can tell you it's true. I have a new name. The Bible says he's given me a new name, and he's given me a new identity. Whoever I was before, I'm no longer that. I'm something altogether different. I've been adopted into a family, and I can't be pushed out of the family. I can be a good son. I can be a bad son, but I can't not be a son. My identity is received. It's not earned. It never goes away. I can behold God's glory. There's a slow and radical change in my character as I go day to day a growing freedom from my past, and there's peace in the present. When I lay my head down to go to sleep, I can actually go to sleep. There's power and there's meaning in the face of absolute suffering and despair. And that probably is one of the biggest ones. People don't understand. The Bible says that you don't grieve as a believer. You don't grieve the same way that the world grieves. Why? Because you're different, and this is what God's going after. There's a mission that God's called me on to do justice, to love mercy and see it flood the earth. There's guidance from and a personal fellowship with God himself. I can literally hear the voice of God for my life. There are relationships relationships of love that are going to last for all eternity. They're going to go on forever. The promise of our future perfection and glorious beauty. There's complete confidence in the face of death. I mentioned that. There's a new heavens and a new earth that's coming and is perfectly restored material world. Whatever this is and all the brokenness, one day is going to be completely redeemed. And we're going to get to be a part of that. So Jesus said in Matthew, Everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields or nets, he didn't say that here, for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Matthew 13, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then, listen to this, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. He left something less for something more. So I just want to challenge you. Have you left your nets? Have you laid down whatever it is that you thought was, that brought your significance? And maybe it's something that you could never live up to, and it just doesn't do what you thought it was supposed to do. You're grabbing after things that the more you grab, it seems the less you have. You poured yourself and your life into everything that's promised something, especially if you've been around for a little while. If you're younger, maybe you've got a few more things to try. I don't know. But if you've been around for a little while, you've tried all these things, has it done what, it, what you thought it was going to do? Have you left your nets? Like Elisha, he went, and the Bible says he slaughtered his oxen, <laughs> and then he went and he followed Elisha. He did not go and kiss his mother and his father goodbye. It had nothing to do with giving them a kiss goodbye or even saying goodbye. It had everything to do with, can you see the magnitude of the call that Jesus has placed on your life? So I want to pray for us. And I want to ask you that phrase, in your joy, can you sell it all? Do, do you see Jesus accurately? Or is he just a prophet? Is he just a teacher? Is he just a religious leader, or is he the Son of God? Is he the one who made you? Is he God Almighty who made you, who created you, who formed you? The Bible says in your mother's womb, before you were even born, he knew every hair that was going to be on your head. He knew your life. He knew your passions. He knew your personality because he's the one who created. He's the one who formed it. He's the one who wants to lead it and build it and release it to its fullness. Have you seen this Jesus? Have you encountered him? Because when he comes and tells you to drop your nets, like the Bible said, you will drop them immediately. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we just say thank you. Lord, my prayer is, um, God, we, can, we cannot do you justice in trying to describe who you are to us, Lord. Um, but, Lord, I just know for me you're everything. Lord, especially as I get older, and, and I know how many years I have left, Lord, to give something in this world. Lord, more and more I realize I'm made for another world. C.S. Lewis, Lord, said that if, if, if nothing in this world satisfies me, then is it possible that I was made for another world? And Lord, from what we see in Scripture, Lord, we know that we are. So Lord, I pray this morning that if there's anyone in this room, Lord, that has not yet dropped their nets immediately and followed you, that Jesus, they would make that decision to do that today. And that, Lord, if they haven't, God, would you show them your majesty? Would you show them your glory? Jesus, would you show them your goodness, your compassion, your heart, that you would lay down um, your life, your perfect, righteous life on a cross, Lord, for a broken, sinful me? And that, Lord, you would lift me out as the Bible says, out of the miry clay, and you place my feet on a solid rock. Jesus, you deserve all the honor and all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for that message. Um, I love that about 35 years ago, I dropped my net and I followed Jesus, and I've never regretted it. It completely transformed my life. It transformed my world. 
It transformed my marriage. It transformed the fact that I'm actually still married to that man today. Um, so um, uh, it, he really is. He's the one who brings fulfillment into our lives. And um, so we love Jesus around here. And um, if you're watching online and you'd like to have prayer, just go to our website. You can find the information there. If you're in-house, we'd love to pray for you. For If there's anything in the message that you could kind of relate to or identify with, we'd love to just come alongside with you and pray with you and pray for you. Our ministry team will be up front. And if you'd like to have prayer, just come and join us. We hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you guys again next Sunday.